Father, we praise you for your tremendous mercy, grace, and love. That uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That you loved us so much that you would not leave us in our sinful state, but you brought forth provision for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that your son willingly came and he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And he died and rose from the dead. Father, we praise you and we give you the glory due your name. Father, I thank you also that we have an opportunity to be together, to look into your word today. And I pray that you'd prepare our hearts, that uh, we would confess any sin, we would uh, be ready to receive your word implanted, and allow you by your spirit to do your work in us. We pray you'd be magnified in our responses to your word today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus himself, when he was addressing the character of false teachers on the Sermon on the Mount, said that a good tree does not produce bad fruit, and a bad tree does not produce good fruit. And he said, so then you'll know them by their fruits. Now, fruit bearing is not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. You see, the Lord Jesus addressed uh, this also when he confronted the religious hypocrites, whose outward appearance was good, but ultimately they came from rotten inside hearts. In the book of Matthew, he says, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? Speak what is good. Ultimately pointing out the hypocrisy of their false fruit, that fruit that isn't from him, coming from evil hearts. So with this in mind, we recognize that those who do not know Christ will never, ever bear good fruit. They will never bear it because they do not have a relationship with the Lord. As Jesus said to those branches, said about those branches that wouldn't produce fruit, they would be gathered up and thrown into the fire. So then, biblically, we see those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ are going to produce good fruit. But yet, we come to a difficulty when we see Christians who are not producing fruit, who are not producing the character of Christ. Well, what about these? What about these who appear to be believers? Well, today I think we're going to see motivation for true believers to be diligent in growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe we're going to see within that that it is when God works through us that we have an assurance of salvation. Would you turn your Bibles to Second Peter? We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11. And as I've mentioned before, this is a portion that is part of a larger section of text. It really begins in verse 2 and ends, you know, 11, but maybe even 12. I wanted to do 12 today also, but there just was not enough time. So with that in mind, I just want to briefly go through the context of this wonderful book of Second Peter. Uh, Peter identifies himself as the writer, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And the Lord has made it known, he'll share this later on in the letter, that his departure is imminent. This is his final words. And he is writing this second letter, he says, within this book. 
And obviously that means it's a second letter to the same people he had written to before, but it seems to be going much beyond that to, to all believers. As we know, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for those things, right? Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. Within that, he's writing simply a tremendous letter concerning the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, this book is about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 2 in chapter 1, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. And we're going to see today in our passage in verse 8 that if these qualities are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in contrast to the false teachers who twist the word of God and pervert it and put it down, uh, Peter says that we should be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as he closes the book. Chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and the day of eternity. Amen. This book is about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we see, and as we've seen, we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord through his word in a real relationship with him. We have his precious and magnificent promises that through them we might be partakers of the divine nature. We see that in chapter 1. And the Apostle Peter is reminding believers of things that they should already know. What we're going to see today is stuff that we should already know as believers, but we need to be reminded. Look at uh, verse 12, and this is the verse I wanted to add to our passage today. We're just not going to get time for it. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you, chapter 1, of these things, even though you already know them. We should know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. Peter is writing so that we can call these things to mind, these things that we should know, but we need to remember. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing you in which I am stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior, spoken by your apostles. This is a reminder. This is a reminder of what we should know. And it is about the most important thing, a relationship with the living God, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He shares the most important thing. And as I've already mentioned, threaded throughout this letter are warnings concerning the threats to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically, we'll see false teachers in chapter 2, those who pervert, twist, and mock the word of God. Those who would take uh, the difficult passages and twist them to their own destruction. So with that in mind, these are Peter's last words in his second epistle, and they are very important, and they are a reminder for us as we see the most important thing, growing in the grace and knowledge 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, today I believe we're going to see a motivation for us to be obedient, for us to be diligent in growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this will produce a true, genuine assurance of salvation, of true salvation. All right, turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 8 to 11, but I want to read up through that again, as I mentioned. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, let's start there. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us, or to us, his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And then our passage. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten, or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Tremendous passage. And our passage, as we begin, begins for us in verse 8, and it's connected Notice the term for. It's actually an explanation of what has previously been spoken of. It's connected to what we saw in our last time in Second Peter. And so what did we see in our last time in Second Peter? Let's review what we have seen because it is all connected together when we need to understand it rightly. Remember, we saw God's desire for true believers was, verse 2, grace to you and peace be multiplied, be multiplied, be, be added in, in, in abundance in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus, our Lord. God's desire is for us to grow in, our, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to grow in a real relationship. You can't grow in the grace if you're not in Christ. You can't grow in more and more dependence on Him and the knowledge of Him unless you have a relationship with Him. And notice we have this incredible statement, verse 3, seeing... That is, divine power has granted to us, this is believers as we're seeing, those who have a like faith of the apostles. Verse 1, true believers, seeing his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Tremendous verse. We have everything we need God has graciously granted it to us abundantly by his divine power. Everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for the Christian life, for our life in Christ, and to reflect his character and walk rightly before him. Everything we need for life and godliness. 
And this comes in the context of a relationship with him through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Tremendous reality. We have to remember this passage is connected, what we're going to see today, connected to what I'm reading right now. You can't go out and do the things that we're going to see unless you have a relationship in the context of of Christ and, and his word, as we'll say. The sphere in which we've been granted everything is in within our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we have a tremendous explanation concerning how everything has been provided to us. Verse 4, For by these, that's speaking of his, 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 his tremendous character, he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. He has provided, granted us his precious and magnificent promises. Precious, tremendously valuable, magnificent, the greatest. It's by his word that we partake of his nature. He uses his spirit-empowered word to change our lives. That's why his word is so important. It's God speaking to us through his word by his spirit. He uses it in order that you might become partakers of the divine. We might become like Christ. Those who have escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, we partake of the very glorious character of God by means of the word working out in our lives within the context of a true relationship with Jesus Christ. So then, when it comes to growing in our relationship with Christ, we remember and must remember we have everything we need pertaining to life and God. Everything. Everything. And so you say, wow, we've got his magnificent and precious promises. What else do we need? We're, we're good to go. And, and that's true. But yet God calls us at this point to act upon what he has spoken concerning a real relationship with him. He calls upon us to act or obey in the context of faith. You see, God has given us everything we need, and then there is our response. You say, wait a second, you always say, apart from him we can do nothing. That's right, apart from him we can do nothing. But in a relationship with him, we can do everything he calls us to do. We are called to act in obedience, as we will see, to the word of God. God calls us not simply to trust in him, but that trust will manifest in a real relationship where we are reflecting his character and obeying him in regards to our everyday circumstances, situations, and thoughts. God calls upon us to act upon what he said in the context of a real relationship. Acting upon it apart from a real relationship is hypocrisy. It's like the Pharisees. The outside may look good, but the inside is corrupted. This is acting within a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we saw last time in verse 5. Now for this very reason. For the reason that God has given you everything you need in your relationship with Christ. Through his word, he says, applying all, reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply. And if you were here last time, we saw that that term supply uh, is the main verb. It speaks of apply, it speaks of furnishing or adding to. We are to do some things. We are to furnish these things. They are to come from us in the context of a relationship with Christ. And it's in the context here of faith. Apart from faith, we can't please God. Apart from trusting and relying on Him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. 
But he says, applying all diligence. All diligence. We should not be lazy Christians. We should be continually, habitually, diligently supplying these things to our everyday lives and actions as the Word works in our hearts. And what are those things? He says, moral excellence. Moral excellence. The reality that as we trust the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word works in our hearts, we are to do the right thing, morally speaking. We are to step out and, and apply the truth in the relationship to how we see things and think. Moral excellence speaks of moral qualities worthy of praise. No longer are we doing those wicked things that are not worthy of praise at all. We are to step out in obedience and supply moral excellence. It is his righteous character by faith in our everyday lives. Secondly, we should be increasing and growing in the knowledge of God and his word. We should be growing in our state. We should not be stagnant thinking the same about God the way we were when we first got saved. We should be growing in that knowledge as the word works in our hearts. Remember, it's the word by faith. That's the only way. Third, we should be increasing in self-control. We didn't have it before. We had externals that helped us be controlled, whether it's uh, punishment for something or, or motivation for something else. But when we came to Christ, we have the Spirit of God that enables us, by the Word of God, to say no. To say no to things. To say no to self. I didn't have that power before. I was a slave. Now in Christ, I can yield myself to Christ, and I don't have to sin. I can go to Christ for deliverance from sin instead. Self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. We should be more and more and more saying no to ourselves in the context of a real relationship, not a phony one, abiding and trusting Christ instead. And more and more we should be persevering, remaining under. As difficulties come for whatever reason, we know that faith produces endurance, right? The testing of our faith. As we trust the Lord, believing his word, he produces endurance in our lives. That should be increasing in true believers. We should know this too, right? I, he said, I'm, you should know these things already. I'm just reminding you. And we should be becoming more godly. Godliness increasing in our reverence and worship for God. You know, when we come together, we should be reverent, focusing on the Lord, giving Him the glory due His name. And that should be in our lives. In our lives. We should be increasing in that. We should be increasing and having an ever an ever increasing manifestation of brotherly love for one another. We should be loving one another more and more and more. That's what happens as Christ's word works in our heart and we abide in him and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. If you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, you are growing in your love for one another. And lastly, as we saw last week, we should be growing in love for God himself. It should be all-encompassing. We should love the Lord God with, our, with all our heart, mind, and soul, with all our strength, everything within us. We should be turning and giving Him the focus, desiring to do His will over our will. That should be growing. We're not all there, but it should be growing. We should have it, and it should be growing. And that leads us within these tremendous qualities that should be within us and growing as believers to our passage today. Notice what he says in verse 8 of First Peter, or Second Peter, two, one, Second Peter, one, verse eight. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Here's where the rubber meets the road. And we should know this. There are so many immature Christians that have been Christians for so long. By this time, you ought to be teachers, Hebrews chapter 5. But we need to be reminded, right? For if these qualities are yours and increasing, that these qualities are what? Those seven things that he just spoke of that should be supplied diligently in the context of trusting Jesus and a relationship with him as his word works in our hearts. That's the context. That's the context. These qualities, if these are yours, every single one of them, not a couple of them, every single one, if they are yours, you possess them. And that's what we're going to see. Actually, the term speaks of if they are present, continually, habitually present, every single one of them. And I want to ask you, are these things present in your life? Is every single one of these present? Moral excellence, knowledge of the Lord, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Are they present? Are they present? I think we can easily attain an answer to that if we evaluate our hearts rightly. Are they present? He says, if they are present. Because we'll see, if they're not present, you are blind and you are short-sighted. And we'll see what that means in a minute. But he says, if they're present, but not only are they present, he gives another portion here, present, but also, but increasing. For if these, this whole group, in the context of trusting Christ by his word working in a heart of a true believer, he says, for if these qualities are yours, they are present in you and increasing. This is an interesting word. It speaks of superabounding, getting more and more and more on a continual basis. He says, if they're yours at hand and they are increasing, then there is a tremendous truth associated with this that we should already know, but we need to be reminded. Then he says, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous statement. So many people think they are so mature in Christ, yet these characteristics are not there. And sometimes they are there, but they're not increasing. We're going to see, this is the, where the rubber meets the road. Peter's saying, hey, this is the reality of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. A real relationship. If the word of God is at work in our hearts in the context of faith, then our true knowledge of Christ is going to bear fruit. When those moral things come before us, we're going to do what God says by his power and his strength rather than doing those immoral things. We're going to grow in our knowledge of him. We're going to grow in our self-control, perseverance, all those things. There's going to be differences in the life of a true believer. Now he says here that you are neither useless or unfruitful. You see, when we trust in Christ and we're walking with him and his words working, we are useful, useful to the master. We are useful vessels. The term translated useless here speaks of idle or inactive. The Lord Jesus used it to speak of those, those wicked slaves who, who were supposed to be doing his bidding when they were gone, but they didn't. They were idle. They were inactive. The term unfruitful literally means barren. Barren. 
You see, it's all about a true relationship with Jesus Christ. If these things are yours and increasing, you are neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of a relationship. We always think, well, I want to be useful and fruitful in doing God's stuff. No, it's a relationship with Christ which will bear forth that fruit. It's all about Christ. Useful and fruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the term knowledge here, and also in verse 2, is, uh, comes from the Greek word, a cognate of it, gnosis, but it's called epinosis. It speaks of a fuller, a true knowledge. It speaks of a knowledge in the context of a relationship. Peter also speaks to believers, or he speaks to believers here, specifically who have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They have come into a relationship with the Lord. He says, our Lord. The term Lord here in the Greek speaks of master, kurios. And it was the equivalent of the term Lord in the Old Testament, uh, Yahweh, which spoke of the I Am. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. He is the Lord. He is, he is God and, and who took on human flesh. And that's what his name really speaks to. The Lord, Yahweh, is salvation. Yeshua, Jesus. Jesus saves. The Lord, the Lord is salvation. And then Christ speaks of the anointed one, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who would have to suffer for us before he would be glorified again. So our passage says, for if these qualities, those specific ones you can look at, you can identify specifically, if they are yours, you possess them currently and committedly, habitually, and they are increasing, they render you neither useless, which is idle, or unfruitful, which is barren, in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is knowledge that we can have that doesn't include a relationship. That's not what this is speaking of. And there is knowledge that is within a true relationship. I mentioned this last time. We can say we know someone. Like I can say I know the president. I know about him. I have knowledge concerning him. But I do not have a relationship with him. The knowledge is not like I have with my wife. I know her. We have a relationship. And how do we grow in that relationship? We grow through true knowledge of one another. And God has opened the relationship to us through the forgiveness of sins that we might grow in a real relationship with the living God. It is only once you have been saved that you can see him rightly through his word and we can begin to grow, begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We who did not fear him before now fear and reverence him and can relate to him rightly because of what he shared in his word, opening our hearts. So then our passage is speaking of relational knowledge. For if these qualities, verse 8, are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our relationship with Christ is everything. And if we're not increasing in his character in the context of faith, if we're not applying all diligence, that word diligence means to be, to, to be making every effort, as we'll see, because we've been saved unto this, as we're going to see, then we are useless and unfruitful in our relationship no matter what we say. If these qualities are not ours present and they are not increasing, we are useless and unfruitful. And I want to ask you, 
Are you useless and unfruitful? Are you seeing yourself rightly? The qualities are very easily identifiable. If we possess all these qualities, in the contrary, the glorious contrary, we are useful. And we are fruitful in our relationship with Jesus. And that's everything. Tremendous truth. And so let me ask you this. Are these qualities yours? Are they increasing? The only way they can be yours is if you know the Lord. The only way they can be yours and increasing is if you completely rely on Christ by faith and allow his word to work out in your everyday circumstances. To change your mind, to renew your mind, to, to, so that you're not conformed to this world, but renewed and transformed. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, a right analysis of our behavior coming from the heart. Only we can see our hearts and God can see our hearts. No one else can see our hearts. We know our hearts. Is this coming from a right relationship with Jesus Christ, his word working in you by faith? If these are yours and increasing, you are neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are these qualities yours? We need to analyze it. We need to know these truths. We need to be reminded of these truths. See, because false teachers will come along and, and teach you externals to follow Jesus from the outside, not from the inside. You see, they'll deceive you. And you will not grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what we are to do, as we'll see. So we must, therefore, in faith, rely on Christ, letting his word work in our hearts. We must diligently supply these things knowing that our usefulness and fruitfulness is based on whether we possess them and they are increasing. But notice Peter continues in verse 9, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Very interesting statement. Very interesting statement. It speaks about those who lack the qualities that were mentioned earlier. Those qualities that we see in verse 5. Those qualities of moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Those qualities that are produced in the heart and life of a true believer relying on Christ, trusting in him and allowing his word to work out in their lives. Everything we need for life and godliness, right? So he says here, we have uh, a statement that is an explanation again. Look at verse 9. For, for he who lacks these qualities. The, the term lacks means not to be present. You know, it's translated other places, he wasn't present. It, these aren't there. They're not there. If you lack them, if you lack them, we're going to see that there's something that is true about you. He says, For he who lacks his qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Uh oh that seems interesting. Who has had their sins forgiven? Believers. This is speaking of the reality of a believer lacking these things. A believer lacking these things. Very interesting. Now, I believe we'll see if, if you've always lacked them, then there's no assurance that you've actually been saved. But believers can function apart from a real relationship with Christ. And guess what? When that's happening, it's going to be lacking. 
it's going to be lacking. He says, For if these, whoever lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. The term blind here speaks of being continually blind, is continually blind, continually cannot see. And then it's interesting, says the word being, literally blind, being short-sighted. That actually helps us understand. They're blind. They're not seeing, but yet they're short-sighted. They're still seeing, but they're not seeing. Do you understand? Doesn't make sense, does it? Well, they don't see, but they are seeing, but they're not seeing the right thing. They're short-sighted. The word means nearsighted. They're looking at the wrong thing, as we're going to see. They're not seeing things rightly. They are blind to the reality of what God is doing in their lives and what they should be focused on in this life, as as we're going to see. Notice it says, having forgotten, completed action, his purification from his former sins. Very interesting statement. You wonder, wait a second, if I just forget about being forgiven, that's, that's going to make me not do these things? Well, I think there's more to it. I think there's more to it. I think we're going to see when we have been purified, we were purified unto something. God saved us for a specific reason, as we're going to say. Notice the direct implication is whom these qualities are not present has lost sight and is now looking short of something. Lost sight and looking short. Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. The term purification here speaks of being cleansed. This word comes from the root word from Greek, katharos, which means to be clean or cleansed. It speaks of that which is free of dirt. And, and in Scripture, it spoke of the purity of metals that had been refined. It's used metaphorically to speak of that which is unadulterated, unmixed, i.e. pure. It was, spoke to, it was used to speak of ceremonial cleanliness in the context of the law. You see, we are not pure. We are contaminated by sin. We are dirty with sin. We are defiled You see, our hearts are defiled by sin, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't think right. We are hardened towards God. We do not fear Him. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We don't give Him thanks or glory by our old nature. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And it is appointed man once to die and then the judgment. Yet God is and was gracious and brought about the cleansing of our sins, our former sins, as we see here, our sins, they're ours, we did it, our former sins through his Son. It is only through what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did that brought cleansing. Let's share, let me share a couple of passages. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have been cleansed of your sins. It is through Jesus Christ who brought about purification of sins. We dirty with sin, wretched sinners, cleansed. Cleansed. Think of the most awful thing you've ever touched or got in your hands, and then you're washed, you're cleansed. You're cleansed. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, that's speaking of Christ, And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made, what? Purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
The Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. He paid the full price. He brought about cleansing. Look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11. This passage really explaining how you can do the things that are related to sound doctrine earlier in chapter 2. For the grace of God, chapter 2, verse 11, has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. God's saving grace has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. And that same grace in Christ is instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Hey, that's talking about what we've seen in Second Peter, right? Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Hmm, different focus, as we'll see. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us, pay the price from every lawless deed, pay the price for our wicked sins, and what? Catharazzo, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And then look down a little farther, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's the way we were before Christ. No matter how good you think you were, that's the way we were. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, that's Christ, by the way, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and released us or cleansed us from our sins by his blood. You see, you are and I are dirty with sin. We were dirty with sin. And some of you still are. And Jesus Christ paid the full penalty for our sins. And when you trust in him, you receive his righteousness. You are cleansed of your sins. You can't cleanse yourself. You need to be like the leper that came to Jesus for cleansing. Now of leprosy, not of sin, but for leprosy. And he said, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. Jesus, you can cleanse me of my sins. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Do you believe it's only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ you can have your heart cleansed from sins? Are you willing to come before him today and admit it, confessing sin and trusting in him alone? Are you willing to cry out to the Lord? Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, we were dirty with sin. But when you trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, you were cleansed, you were purified. So back to our passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities, those, those seven qualities we saw in the context of faith and a real relationship with Jesus Christ, for he who lacks these qualities is blind. You're blind. You're not seeing. Short-sighted. You're looking short. You're nearsighted. Having forgotten completed action his purification from his former sins. He's saying, you've forgotten your salvation. Well, how can a believer forget their salvation in a practical sense? How is that? I believe he's not speaking just of the cleansing as we're going to see in context. He's speaking of why God purified us. 
throughout Scripture, we're going to see that God purified us for his own possession. He purified us so that we would bring him glory. He purified us that we would become more and more like him. We were saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. We see justification, sanctification, glorification. And when we have lost sight of what God is doing in our lives now, then we are going to not exhibit these qualities. Because what God is doing is he is sanctifying us. He is taking his word and working sin out of our lives and producing the character of Christ. All those things that should be in our lives and increasing. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Great passage. See, if I have a practical forgetfulness of the reality of why God saved me, guess what? I'm not going to function rightly. If I don't realize he is working out sin in my life every day, he's taking his word, he's changing me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, these are believers, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning, we'll see that later on, for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. God takes his Spirit and sets us apart from sin as we believe the truth of God. You see, as I've shared, salvation is is shown in Scripture in three places, basically three times. We were saved from our sins. We are being saved. We will be saved. There's three aspects of it. And it begins with our former purification from sins. God is making me more like Christ. Therefore, I should be diligent by faith to act on his word. I should be diligent to trust in him. That's what he's doing. He saved me for a relationship with him. And when I forget this, practically speaking, when I forget that, then I don't function rightly, as we'll see. I'm actually useless and unfruitful in my relationship with Jesus. If I forget, practically speaking, that God saved me to make me more like his son on a daily basis, and that's what he's doing now through every circumstance, when I am short-sighted from that, as I look at every instance in life, I'm blind to the reality of those things, then I'm useless and unfruitful in my relationship with Jesus. Why did he call me out of this world and choose me to be his, as we'll see? Like the Holy One who called us, be holy in all your behavior, First Peter chapter 1, God's word should be working in my heart. We are to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war with our souls, First Peter chapter 2. We are no longer to live for the lusts of men, but for the will of God, First Peter chapter 4. When God's word's working in my heart and I see it in relationship to this life and what he is doing in me, I'm going to be useful and fruitful. But when I just get focused on this right here, I'm not going to be useful and fruitful. Short-sighted. Short-sighted. When I begin to see this life as everything in Christ that he, wants to, that he wants to work through me and everything for his glory, whatever circumstances come upon me, whatever difficulties come upon me, if I don't see it that way, guess what? It's a zero. When I don't see my life in light of the salvation that God has brought to me and, as we will see, is bringing. This is a powerfully motivating message to get our eyes off the temporal circumstances and to remember what Jesus Christ has saved us 
unto. What he has saved us unto. What he is doing in our lives. Take a look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You see, God didn't just save us to go do our own thing. He purified us to be his own possession. He purified us to glorify him. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Remember that last thing on that list, right? To those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might become the firstborn among, among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. We'll see this in a minute. And whom he called, these he justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. God's plan is not simply for us to be cleansed and that's it. Don't forget. Don't forget. He is working out the character of his son in our lives every single day through every circumstance. He's using his word to do that as we trust Jesus. Turn to Romans 13. Romans 13. Verse 11. We've got to wake up from our sleep. We've got to pull the blinders off and recognize what God is doing while he saved us. Otherwise, we're going to be useless and unfruitful. Romans 13, verse 1. And do this, knowing the time, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, this is a very interesting statement, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Speaking of our ultimate glorification, we were saved, we're being saved, we will be saved, right? It is near, it's closer every single day. And notice what he says here. He says, the night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore, in light of our salvation, in light of what God is doing and what he will do, we are motivated to then bring forth the character of Christ as we trust in him. Actions on our part based on a real relationship. Let us therefore lay aside. I'm laying it aside as I trust Christ. The deeds of darkness put on the armor of light. Let us what? Behave properly as in the day. Not carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, nor strife or jealousy, but put on... The Lord Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with him, letting his word work in your heart and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. We are, God predestined us for salvation through sanctification by the spirit in the truth. Second Thessalonians 2.13. It is God's will for us, First Thessalonians 4, our sanctification. Are you going to cooperate with him? confessing sin, relying on his word, obeying him, letting his word transform your thinking? Or are you going to forget? You're going to forget about why the Lord Jesus saved you. You're going to forget. You see, we are to diligently supply these things in the context of faith, recognizing what Christ is doing in us. When we look at this life alone, forgetting what we've been saved from and what we're saved unto, we will be useless and blind to his purposes. Some of you do not have these qualities. And thus it is because you have forgotten your former purification from sins. You've forgotten why Jesus saved you. You've forgotten that that purification on a practical basis. We were saved to gain his glory. We were saved to manifest his character. We were saved to bring him glory. And he wants to do that in every circumstance of our lives as we trust in Jesus Christ. Therefore, allow his word by faith to work in your heart 
Stop being short-sighted and start looking at the big picture. He's making me like Jesus Christ and I am on the way to glory. We need to see that. So let's take a look at our passage again. For if these qualities, 2 Peter 1, 8, are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his former purification from sins. And then here, this is really important because it's connected. This helps really bring back that understanding of what I just explained. Verse 10, Therefore, therefore, in light of this, and you can actually translate this, uh, therefore, or wherefore, rather... Rather than being forgetful and not understanding about your salvation, forgetting that, do something. He says, wherefore rather, or therefore, brethren, seeking to believers, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you what practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Very interesting statement. Therefore, wherefore rather, instead of being short-sighted and blind to why God saved you, to your former purification from sins, he saved you from sin. Don't live the way you used to live. You should be becoming more like Christ, right? Therefore, rather than that, brethren, speaking to believers... Be all the more diligent. Same word. Make every effort to do what? To make certain. Make certain. That's the verb. Make every effort to make certain. To be sure of something. Be diligent to be sure. What is he saying to be sure of? To make certain about. What is it? Look at the end of verse 10. His calling and choosing of you. The term calling in context speaks of his calling of us. We saw it back in verse 3. We were called by his glory and excellence. We see the idea of being called unto salvation in Scripture. And it's through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we were called by God into a saving relationship. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. You can read that again. Galatians 1, 6. We were called by the grace of God. We have a heavenly and holy calling. Hebrews 3, 1, 2 Timothy 1, 9. God is faithful who called us into fellowship with his son, 1 Corinthians 1, 9. Like the Holy One who called us, 1 Peter 1, we're to be holy in our behavior. 1 Peter 2, 9, we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might proclaim his excellencies. We were in darkness and God called us out of our sinful life through the gospel. Like the Holy One who called us. So he says, make sure, be diligent to make sure you were actually called. To make sure you were called and chosen, as we're going to see. We see, how do we do that? He says, to make certain about his calling and choosing you. And by the way, notice what he says, therefore, brethren. He's saying it did happen, right? Make certain, be diligent to make certain or sure of his calling and choosing. Very interesting. Term choosing, we see throughout Scripture that God chose us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose us. And we respond by faith, but he chose us. First Peter 1, 1, we see that uh, the aliens and sojourners are those who are chosen. Who are chosen. God called us. 
He chose us. Romans chapter 8, again, those who he called, right? He also justified. So we are to be diligent by faith to do something, to affirm, to confirm, to make sure of his calling, to make it sure. Notice, if it was at that point, I'd be wondering, what does he mean by that? Do I just feel that I'm saved? That I feel that I'm called? What does he mean by that? But notice he explains the end of verse 10. For, here's how you make sure. For as long as you do these things continually, habitually, that's what he's speaking of. Those things, remember? Those things that we saw earlier that come from a real relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're really saved, these things should be manifest if you're not blind or short-sighted. As long as you do these things, practice them continually, habitually, you will never stumble. And I think the context of this is eternally stumbling. You will never eternally stumble because the life of Christ is manifest in you and it is making sure in your heart that Jesus did call you and choose you. So how do you make sure? Quite ironic, right? It's a paradox. We make sure by allowing Christ to function in us and we do these things by faith. And as long as we're functioning this way, we're making our salvation sure. Now, that doesn't mean we are the ones that assure our salvation. God saves us, and we're saved. But it is being assured in our lives because Christ is functioning through us. And as long as his character is manifest in you, you see, you're never going to stumble because you were really saved. You were really saved. He's not saying you can lose your salvation He's saying that true believers, when they function rightly and are not blind and short-sighted, there is an assurance of his calling and choosing of you. You see, when you're walking in Christ, he's doing it through you. You know it's him. You're doing it by faith. He's changing you. He's producing these things in your life. That's an assurance. So what's interesting here is in parallel, and people have shared this, and I believe it's true. They say this is basically a parallel statement to earlier saying, make every effort to supply these things. And here, be diligent to assure. Therefore, be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you, what? Practice these things. It's not work salvation. It's salvation that works, right? You will never stumble. Here we have the reality that if the manifestation of Christ is in your life, you're not going to stumble because you're saved. You're not going to eternally stumble. I think that's the context. The next verse really uh, lays into that because it talks about being entering into his eternal kingdom. True believer will never stumble. But guess what? If you are not manifesting these things and you never have manifested these things, maybe you aren't saved. Maybe you aren't going to enter his eternal kingdom. True believers will. They will never stumble. Look at this wonderful explanation in verse 11. For in this way. In what way? Making sure of your salvation by practicing these things. In the context of having everything pertaining to life and godliness through a true relationship with Jesus, as these things are manifest in obedience to his word, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and I do what I say? If you have a real relationship, it's going to make sure and certain of your salvation. So be diligent. Be diligent to apply these things in your life each day as you trust Jesus Christ. Be diligent to do so. Because as you do, you make sure you're calling 
and choosing of Jesus, and you will never stumble. Notice what he says. For in this way, the entrance to into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Hey, this is talking about eternity with the Lord. His eternal kingdom. With our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the entrance will be abundantly supplied. You're not, you're not, not going to make it. You're going to make it because you are saved. Because you are, because your life manifests in evidence, and it is giving you the assurance of that reality. Make certain of your calling and choosing. Because if you do these things, it is an evidence that you are saved and you are on your way to eternity with the living God. And it's not by externals, it's by a changed heart in the context of reliance on Jesus Christ. In your faith, supply these things. Our lives should be different. We should be on a continual basis diligently applying these realities by God's word to the circumstances in our life. And if we are not, we are blind and short-sighted, forgetting what God is doing and has done for us by saving us. Tremendous reality. We are going to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the door is wide open. It's not going to be closed. You're not going to stumble if you truly are manifesting these characters from a real relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. Those who have a faith of the same kind as the Apostles, verse 1. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.16. Turn there. This is his final letter. The Apostle Paul was certain of his calling and choosing, by the way. He didn't doubt it. He was certain of it. He was certain of it. 2 Timothy 4, 16. A lot of people are certain of their calling and choosing, but they have never actually have any evidence of it, and I wouldn't be certain in that case. I'd be examining yourself. But here we see evidence. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says, At first, my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. This is his final letter. He's on his way to see the Lord. We see it's his, it's, he's being poured out as a drink offering. May it not be counted against them, verse 17 of 2 Timothy 4, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through the proclamation, that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. Notice what Paul says. This is the end of his life. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to what? His heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Back in our passage. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing. Do that. Make certain. Make certain. You can't manufacture it. It's only through a real relationship with Jesus. And for as long as you do these things continually and habitually, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. You see, if, the, if your life manifests these things, every one, and they're increasing... You can't, it can't happen unless you really know Christ, by the way. You can't, unless it's a fake baloney part. But from the heart, if you manifest it, you are making your calling and your, his choosing sure. 
you're making sure. It's the command, by the way, and I didn't say that earlier. He actually says, therefore, my brethren, be all the more diligent, imperative command, to make certain of his command. How so? By doing these things. By obeying the Lord's word. Right? So if your life has never manifest these characteristics, at best, you are blind and short-sighted, having forgotten your former purification from sins. Are you blind and short-sighted? Confess. Confess. Allow God's word to work in your heart on a daily basis and step out and applying all diligence, supply those things as you trust Jesus Christ. Make every effort to make your calling sure. But there's some of you here that you've never manifest all of these characteristics. You've never manifest them at all. And therefore, there's no surety to the salvation that you think you have. Examine your hearts to see if you're in the faith. Examine your hearts. A good tree does not produce bad fruit, and a bad tree does not produce good fruit. Our passage is pretty simple. In the context of faith in Jesus Christ and his precious and magnificent promises working in your heart, step out in obedience and diligently begin to manifest these things. Make certain it's an evidence you're on your way to glory. It's an evidence you're on your way to glory. If not, you're short-sighted and blind. Ask God to open your eyes to your sin. Help him to have you focus on the truth and what he's doing in your life and step out and supply these things. And lastly, maybe you don't know the Lord. Don't know the Lord. Turn to him. Acknowledge your state. Lord, I, that's not me. I've never manifest characteristics. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Be diligent to make certain his calling and choosing of you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. It is so fantastic. I thank you that these are things that we should all know already. And you are reminding us of these things, although we already know them. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has never, ever manifested these qualities because they've never truly entered a relationship with your son, that you'd convict them and that they would turn and be saved. I pray for those here today who are not manifesting them and are not increasing, who are blind and short-sighted, having forgotten their former purification from sins. They've forgotten why you called them and why you chose them on a practical level. Lord, help us to see and remember that you called us and chose us to become like your son Jesus, to be conformed to his image, to allow your word to work in us that we would glorify you. May we step out in obedience to these things. May we apply them and supply them in our lives on a daily basis. May we be obedient to make sure of your calling and choosing of us, knowing that our entrance into your eternal kingdom is sure because of Christ. Thank you for your word. I pray this in your son's name.